0: Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. I'm going to take a guess this morning that uh, some of you in the room, that some things aggravate you that aggravate me. I have a feeling that, that we would find pretty common ground among us this morning with, um, with some things that, that I'm going to suggest here in a moment. Like, I'll bet that uh, some things that aggravate you and make you angry is, my guess is that you do not like to have your time wasted. Fair? You ever, you ever, like, watched a movie and thought, yeah, that's two hours I'm never getting back? That's a total waste of my time. Like, when the movie makes no sense at the end, they do something really crazy and weird, and you're like, no, no. You look at each other, just, you know, like, no. And then you look at your watch and you go, two hours I'm never getting back. Or you watch a commercial that's just completely mindless and you think to yourself, why do they even pay the money for that? That doesn't make any sense. Just having your time wasted. Nobody likes to have their time wasted. Uh, My guess is also that if you're anything like me, you don't like to be inconvenienced. Right? We're looking for the shortcut. We're not looking to be inconvenienced. We don't want to take the long way around. We don't want to have to take more steps and more time. And if you follow me around long enough, you will find that I highly value convenience. In fact, one of my favorite slogans is, I will pay for convenience. For instance, holidays are coming, got about a week till Christmas, I'm ordering some stuff online for some special somebodies, and I'm not quite sure about the shipping situation, right? Yeah, I'll pay a little extra to make sure that it gets here on time, just so I don't have to worry about it. I'm the guy that when you fly Southwest and they've got that early check-in where you can pay 15 bucks and they check you in, you don't, have to show, you don't have to get online 24 hours ahead of time and, and do that whole deal. Yeah, I'll pay the 15 bucks for that. I'm willing to pay for the, the convenience that is offered. So anytime you've got a convenience thing... I'm your huckleberry for that right like I'm all over that kind of stuff and maybe maybe you're there too I sense I am not alone in this I think that we all value convenience and I think that we do not like to be inconvenienced now You may not be willing to pay for it. That might be a different discussion, but I think we all like convenience Anything that will save me time anything that will save me work anything that will make my life easier I'm all in on that so as we open up today let me start by saying this this is really the theme of the day and I hope that you'll really be thinking about this over the next couple of days sometimes inconvenient people do inconvenient things that send you on inconvenient journeys to get you where God needs you to be sometimes inconvenient people do inconvenient things to send you on inconvenient journeys so with that said I want you to use your imagination this morning. I want to take you to Bethlehem, and we are going to visit a family. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, we're going to go visit Jesus' family. No, we're not. Not going to visit Jesus' family in Bethlehem. The first part of this isn't really about Jesus and, and that family. Different family, different story. The name of the father in this family is a man named Jesse. He has a household, and it's got a lot of sons in it. And Jesse is expecting a visitor to his household on this day. And this visitor is carrying something special. He's carrying a, a ram's horn, and it's, it's uh, got some olive oil in it. And you think, well, you know, what's up with that? Well, the man with the olive oil is the prophet Samuel. And he gathers Jesse, and Jesse brings in seven of his sons and the oldest of Jesse's boys is a man named Eliab. He's a big strapping young lad. He's a good-looking kid. He looks strong, and Samuel gets up to pour the oil to anoint. What Samuel's there to do is he's he's there to anoint the next king of Israel, and so that's what the oil's all about. When you anoint someone, you you, you pour out this oil, and you you anoint their head with oil, and so that's what Samuel's going to do. Eliab is the guy, and big strong kid you know he looks strong he just looks like a king i mean surely this is the guy and right about the time he gets ready to pour out the oil to to anoint eliab god whispers in his ear and says no this is not the one this is confusing to samuel i mean just look at it. I mean, he's just a perfect specimen. This is exactly the way you would draw up a king. I can't imagine that this isn't the guy who would be the next king of Israel, but God said no. And, and so uh, you get a verse of Scripture that is, has become one of my favorites at, at this particular junction in the story, and it's 1 Samuel 16, and this is what it says. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance, or his height for i have rejected him the lord does not look at the things people look at here's the big line people look at the outward appearance but the lord looks at the heart people look at the outward appearance but the lord looks at the heart god says you guys keep looking on the outside it's not the outside that's going to tell you anything it's the inside that tells you something it's the inside what's going on on the inside You know, in a book, don't judge a book by its cover. What's going on on the inside of the book? I've read some books that if I had just gone based on the cover, I would have never read the book. But I got past the cover, got into the book, read the book, and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is really good. I'm glad I didn't judge this by its cover. I've met people that when you looked at them, you thought, man, they look kind of sketchy to me. I don't know. And then you get to know them. Great people. I've also met some beautiful people that you get to know them, and they're not so beautiful on the inside. You ever met someone like that? So God looks at the outside, or God looks at the inside, not the outside. He says, that's what man's used to doing, is man's used to looking at the outside. God says, no, I see the heart, I see the heart. So Samuel knows it's not son number one, so it must be son number two, right? So they they bring in this kid named Abinadab. He's a pretty sharp-looking kid, he's the second born. Samuel is ready to drip the oil to anoint Abinadab as the next king of Israel, and God says, no, this isn't the one either. Okay. So let's get number three in here and let's see what number three's got. Number three, his name is Shema. He's the third oldest son of Jesse and surely he is the one that that is going to be the next king of Israel. Jesse's just about to pour the oil and he hears again, no, this isn't the one that's supposed to be the next king. So now we're on to son number four and now we're on to son number five and son number six. None of these sons are it. Come to the last one that's in the room, son number seven going to pour the oil no no none of these are the one that will be selected as the next king of israel and at this point jesse you know he's made this journey god has told him where to go he shows up you know yeah i got jesse's house at this point he's probably thinking i need to update my google maps because something's not going on right here i've gone to the wrong house and then Samuel looks at Jesse, the father, and he says, Jesse, is this it? I mean, do you have any other sons anywhere else? I mean, I'm, we've gone through seven. I don't have, I'm starting to really wonder at this point, but do you have any other sons? And that's the point that Jesse says, well, yeah, there is this one. His name is David. He's out in the field, and he's, he's you know, he's out watching the sheep. And this particular son that he's talking about is David. He's the youngest of Jesse's sons. And they send for David and, and, and he, they go out to the, the field where Jeff, uh, David is watching these sheep and they say, look, you've got to get back to Bethlehem and you've got to get there in a hurry because there's someone waiting for you and there's a really important thing going on there. And so David runs back into the town of Bethlehem and he, he comes in and I just imagine he's covered with sweat, he's probably out of breath, he smells of sheep, I'm sure it was a pungent aroma coming off of David when he comes into this house but he is the one and Samuel takes the oil and he drips it out on David's head and David will be the next king of Israel as you might imagine they did not live happily ever after you see, there was a current king, and his name was Saul, and he was reigning, and he was jealous, and he was still alive, and he, he's not going to be, he's not going to take any of this news well, okay? He's not going to be happy that David has been anointed the next king. There's going to be a 10-year period in the life of David where Saul is trying to kill him. David will spend 10 years of his life on the run, hiding from King Saul, 10 years living in caves, But over the course of those 10 years, what happens inside David is that uh, he becomes a man of faith and he becomes a man of prayer. David learns how to hold on to God tightly because when he is, uh, when this king and his army are coming after David, the only thing David had that he could cling to, the only thing solid that he knew that he had, was God and God was teaching him a lesson and all that sometimes God uses inconvenient people doing inconvenient things to send you on an inconvenient journey to bring you to the place God needs you to be to which you would be tempted to say at this point okay (sighs) really cool story Brett really cool that's a great story but it's Christmas what does that story have to do with Christmas? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, we're, we're actually, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to preach, I'm going to preach about half as long as I normally do. You're going to get out of here early. We will definitely beat Baptists today to the restaurants. It's going to be a great thing. What does this story have to do with Christmas? Actually, the story has three things to do with Christmas. The place, the family and the fact that there is an anointing going on, okay, three things. The Christmas story is found in Luke chapter 2, and this is how the Christmas story begins. In those days, Caesar Augustus, who was the Roman emperor at the time, issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Now, this was done in order to levy taxes. And in order to levy taxes, you've got to know where everybody is, and you've got to know how much they make, and you've got to know what's going on with them. So, um... You have to know where everybody is. Verse 3, And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph, this would be Mary's betrothed husband, also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. And already we have encountered two of the three things that we know are in um, in common with the story that we just heard about david and jesse and samuel we we, we've encountered the same town and we've encountered the same family line and you notice that bethlehem is called something special it's called the town of david very good now if you were to go back into our preschool park area and talk to one of our five-year-olds, and get down on your knee, you know, and look at him and say, okay, who was born in Bethlehem? They would say Jesus was born in Bethlehem, right? But just before Jesus is born in Bethlehem, had you gone into the city and asked a little five-year-old, who was born in Bethlehem, do you know what the answer would have been? David 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 was the most famous guy that ever came out of the town of bethlehem before jesus shows up and so david was raised there he it's the town becomes known as bethlehem the town of david on a map nazareth and bethlehem are really not all that close it's about 80 miles um, as the crow flies in a straight line um it's somewhat close to that about 80 miles so so imagine just in the vicinity of a trip between here and uh, from here to uh, Indianapolis okay maybe middle of any or a little beyond I'm not real sure how the miles work out there but but about that kind of trip all right and and so I've, I've put a map up there for you so you can see it but to travel from one town to the next you would have had to go over a mountain range from Nazareth Uh, you would have kind of gotten into this ravine valley thing where you go down and you get to the Jordan River Valley and then you would have walked along the Jordan River Valley until you came to a point where you then have to start this pretty long trek up this mountainous region in which you would find the town of Bethlehem. Now, ladies, let's just talk for a minute, okay? Okay. Is that a trip that you would want to sign up for, nine months pregnant? No? I'll give you a donkey. <laughs> no? Not making that trip? I, I didn't think so. I, I mean, I, you know, don't forget, sometimes God uses inconvenient people doing inconvenient things to send us on inconvenient journeys to get us where we need to be. This wouldn't be a pleasant trip for anybody, much less a woman who's nine months pregnant. What does the Christmas story have in common with King David? It's the same town. It's the same family. And there's an anointing involved. That's a little bit harder to see, but I'm going to try and show it to you. Out in the fields, in our Luke 2 story, out in the fields... Outside of Bethlehem are shepherds watching their flocks at night. And who knows? It's kind of cool to think about, What would it, What is it possible that the shepherds who were watching their flocks by night when Jesus was born were in the same field or in the same vicinity as David was when he was just outside Bethlehem watching over his sheep when he got called in to be anointed the next king of Israel? We don't know. There's no way to know. But just for fun, I like to think that maybe so. And I'm not suggesting that that's the case. It's just in my mind, I like it better that way. And that's the way it is in my mind. But probably not, okay? Probably not, but it's possible. We don't know. But these shepherds are out in the field, and the angels appear to him, And he says, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Now, I'm just curious if you know what the word Christ means. The word Christ literally means the anointed one. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. Another way we might say it is the one with the anointing, the Christ, the one with the anointing. And as the glory of the birth of Jesus begins to unfold, once again, shepherds go rushing into Bethlehem to see an anointing, to see the anointed one, same family, same town, Also a story about an anointing. So hopefully you've just learned something. And here's the question this morning. Why is Jesus born in Bethlehem? That's the question. The the first answer I would give you is Jesus was born in Bethlehem to fulfill a thousand-year prophecy that that's where he would be born. Okay, that's the first reason that I would give you. Answer number two is this guy caesar augustus verse one tells us in those days caesar augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire roman world mary and joseph end up in bethlehem where jesus is supposed to be born according to a thousand-year-old prophecy and also because an emperor that they don't even know they've never met he has no idea their name and he doesn't have any idea that this jesus baby is coming Issues a decree that everybody's got to go back to their hometown to register for the census that we're going to take so we can get more money from you. And Jesus ends up being born in Bethlehem to fulfill prophecy and also because of a decree by someone who doesn't even know the family. Because sometimes inconvenient people do inconvenient things that send us on inconvenient journeys to get us where God needs us to be let me say this i doubt seriously that any kids in the room needed to hear that but i have a feeling there are some adults who needed to hear that we know that inconvenient people do inconvenient things that lead to inconvenient journeys what we forget is that god seems very pleased to use inconvenient people doing inconvenient things to lead us on inconvenient journeys, to get us where we need to be. So as we come into Christmas Day, and as we spend time with family, and as we move into the new year, and the dealings that we will have with people at work, and the people over the next week or so when you're with friends and family, don't lose sight of the fact that sometimes God has you doing something that makes no sense to you, or worse yet, it, it's really, really inconvenient because what I would tell you is he just may be up to something in your world God has a will and God has this thing that he's trying to make happen or is going to make happen I shouldn't say try it's going to happen it's just a matter of who's gonna do it for him and the beautiful part about God's will is that he allows us he uses us to accomplish his will and sometimes in order to include you, he has to move you. And here's the problem with us. We're very routine by nature. We have a certain way we like to do things. We like to see the basic same set of people. We drive to work the same, pretty much the same way every time. We go to grandma's house the same way every time. right? You've got a routine in the morning when you're getting ready for work or getting ready to go to school. We've got routines, and we we tend to fall into the sameness of life. And sometimes, in order for God to get you to see something new or see something different, He's got to move you. He's got to inconvenience you. He's got to take you out of your way and out of your comfort zone. And He's got to wake you up a little bit so that you can see things that you otherwise might not have seen so that you can help Him accomplish His will. So maybe in 2018, let's be a little more patient. Maybe in 2018, how about this? This this, If you want a New Year's resolution, I'm not big on those, but I'm coming into a a place where I'm, I'm really diving into this idea. I believe it pretty strongly. I believe that the closer you get to Jesus, the less offendable you should be. I just want that to sink in. I'm not much of a Facebook guy, you know that, but I'm on Twitter and the vitriol and the hatred and the, just the nastiness that spews forth and I I follow some political things and it just, what I see in our culture and in our world is everybody is so easily offended by something. Christians should be the hardest people in the world to offend. Just... Let that sink in. Take that with you for Christmas. Don't be offended tomorrow, okay? You know Jesus. You're supposed to be forgiving and loving. You're supposed to accommodate a lot of people and a lot of stuff. And God may be doing something. He may be taking you out of your comfort zone, taking you to some inconvenient place, and taking you to a place where he's got something for you to do. And if you're offended and mad and angry, you can't see it and you can't do it. So maybe in 2018, maybe we are a little harder to offend, maybe we're a little more forgiving and a little more willing to be inconvenienced because God may want to use you and because you simply never know what God is up to. And in the case of Mary and Joseph, he was up to using them to deliver a Messiah where he needed to be, when he needed to be there. And if you think for a second, Mary heard, hey honey, we got to go to Bethlehem to to Register you think she didn't go. Are you kidding me? How would you like to have been Joseph say that right? Yeah We're gonna make this trip to, to Bethlehem. We're gonna what? Um, Bethlehem, we're gonna go to Bethlehem Why did that happen? So that God could save us <laughs> So that God could save us so Jesus comes in the form of a baby and Mary and Joseph are there and they're cradling this baby. And here's what we know about this baby. He's going to start to grow. By age 12, he will know his purpose. He will go into the, the temple and he will wow everybody with what he, with what he knows. When Mary and Joseph Joseph eventually track him down in the temple and they're kind of scolding him, didn't you know that we were going back home and you were supposed to be with us and we thought you were with your cousins maybe or somewhere else? And Jesus said, did you not know that I was to be in my father's house? He knew at 12 what his purpose was. He knew that he was to live this sinless life And he would grow up and he would go to a cross and he would eventually be crucified on this cross. He would die there. It would put him in a tomb. He would raise from the tomb and conquer death. It had to be that way. Someone had to conquer death. Someone had to live a perfect life. Someone had to be the perfect sacrifice for you and me. And here's Mary and she's holding this little baby in her arms. And like I said in the communion meditation, if you had told Mary, yeah, they're going to crucify him, they're going to what? Words that you don't associate with a baby are words like fierce and warrior. But that's what she's holding in her arms. She's holding a warrior. She's holding someone who will be fierce and who will fight for you. See, I don't know where you are in your faith journey this morning. There's a lot of you in here who are Christians, who believe in Jesus, who've been forgiven, and that's awesome. But there are some people in here this morning that that might be new. There are some people that might, you know, your spiritual journey, some people come to us, they don't have a spiritual journey. Like We've had people come in, and their first day, they know nothing about Jesus. Nobody's ever taught them anything. Here's what you need to know. You're welcome here. You don't have to know it all. It's okay if you don't know the stories. It's okay if you don't know anything. It's okay if you've never been to church before. We love you. You're accepted. You're welcome here. Here's what you need to hear today. That baby is going to grow up and he's going to be a fierce fighter. And he's going to be a warrior for this thing called sin. The one thing that nobody in this room can overcome by themselves. Sin. The one thing that jacks us up Gets us messed up, gets us off track, blows back on us, blows back on the people that we love, messes everything up, sin. One guy would fiercely do battle with sin, and his name was Jesus. He goes to a cross. He dies there. And then they put him in a tomb, and three days later, he raises up, victorious over the grave, having defeated sin, having defeated death, And he offers to you and me, not a list of do's and don'ts. Not a a charge to go to church on Sunday. That's not what Christianity is. That's not what following Jesus is about. You know what following Jesus is about? Waking up every day of your life and saying, God, in light of what you've done for me, you have forgiven me. In light of what you've done for me, how do I take this day And give it to you and live it for your full glory and your full honor. And what that means is, I'm not going to be as offended. I'm going to be offering forgiveness. I'm going to look past shortcomings and I'm going to look past uh, um, injury. And I'm just going to live my life as close as I can to the life that I see Jesus living. And here's the kicker. That is hard. That's hard. But if you've never given your life to Christ, it's not about being good. You can't be good enough to get into heaven. It's about being forgiven. You need to be forgiven. Jesus went to a cross to pay for your sin, to forgive you. I told you at the beginning of the service, God is crazy about you. He loves you so much. So maybe you should consider giving your life to him. Now let me pronounce a blessing over us as a church family. May the Christmas season... Offer you the spirit of the season, which is peace. May you know the gladness of the season, which is hope. And may you know the heart of the season, which is love. God bless you. Merry Christmas. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Father, this little baby changed everything. Unassuming. (laughs) Nobody knew what power he was going to have. Uh, Mary and Joseph knew he was special, but I don't think they had any idea how special. And he grew up into our Savior. And man, are we thankful. God, we don't get this right half the time. We, we, we're so messed up. We so desperately need you. I pray, Father, that we would be what a waiting, watching world needs to see. Not, perf- not perfect people forgiven people, people who know how to forgive, people who know how to be inconvenienced, people who know how to go out of their way to do something for someone else. So Father, tomorrow when it's all going south for everybody else and somebody starts yelling because they've been inconvenienced, help us to remember that it seems to be your pleasure to use inconvenient people doing inconvenient things to send us on inconvenient journeys to get us where you need us to be so that we can be used by you. Father, we thank you for this baby and who he grows up to be. It's in his precious name we pray.